Hi, and welcome back to season two and episode four of Two Brown Girls. Do we have another exciting episode for you? Yes, today's episode is about colorism within the South Asian community, and we are joined with a special guest today. Her name is Shweta Agarwal, and she is an anti colorism activist based in the UK and is having her memoir on colorism titled The Black Rose releasing this December. During this episode, we're going to explore and discuss prejudice faced by many South Asian women regarding their skin tone, how this contrasts to Western ideals, and the steps required for change. Just before we begin, we would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that Divya and I are bringing this podcast to you from Nanawal and Nambri land. We would like to pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the land, the Nanawal and Nambri people and their elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and that this land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We also want to remind our listeners that the views, thoughts and opinions expressed are our own and do not represent the views, thoughts and opinions of our professions, nor of the communities we may be a part of. So now to our lovely guest, Shweta. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honoured and I really appreciate your time and your effort. No, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to give a little intro about yourself and and share a bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was born in India, raised in Japan, and I've been living in the UK since 2000. You know, I I am Indian, I'm brown, and I've faced a lot of colorism throughout my life um, from the age of six in India. Um, I started a dance company here and I ran that successfully for 10 years. And some of the highlights were um, uh, being one of the first uh, Bollywood dance companies to um, be a semi-finalist in Britain's Got Talent, being invited to um, audition for the London Olympics. After I had children, I started writing a series of children's books, uh, which are all based basically on um, festivals in India and eventually around the world, uh, with a modern take to kind of educating not only South Asian kids about their own culture and festivals, but also children across the world uh, so that they can embrace Indian culture. And it's essentially about kind of raising global citizens through spreading cultural awareness. Um, And recently, what I started to do was um, to pen my memoir, The Black Rose, based on my journey through colorism in India from the age of six. And it all started from the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, One of the protests that I attended was in a local park. And that is when I had my kind of awakening, because as you know, Although colorism is such a pervasive notion in the South Asian culture, because it's so pervasive that we trivialize it, ignore it, it's not even a thing. But when you come face to face with something really monumental and really pivotal, like the Black Lives Matter movement, it kind of forces you to look within. And, and it kind of brought back a lot of memories. So yeah, that's essentially me. Um, the book will be coming out in December and I'm super excited. And we're really excited uh, for that as well. So good luck for that. So talking about our experience with colorism and skin bleaching, we can't talk about colorism within the South Asian community without mentioning our favorite, fair and lovely. not so favorite, (laughs) exactly, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know about both of you, but fair and lovely, I'd seen ads growing up and growing up, I sort of bought into that idea that like, oh, dark skin is negative or fair skin is positive. When she applies this, oh, she's suddenly beautiful. Look at her now, all the boys are going after her. And that, I don't know, it subconsciously sits in the back of your brain and then you you sort of, I don't know, inherit that message. And, and yeah, but it was like such a process to unlearn that and sort of be like, no, just because this product is sort of forced down our throats doesn't mean that it's necessarily right or, you know, that the message it's sending out is necessarily a good one. In fact, it's quite literally the opposite. But anyway. Yeah, I know that they've tried to change the name to accommodate the... F- 
I guess, criticism that they've received, but I don't, oh, it's it's called Glow and Lovely now or something. And I but just- But it's still the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same, like I just, I, changing the name, the fact that we still have such a product out there that exists for skin bleaching inherently shows where we sit as a society in terms of colorism. But I guess I'm curious about your experiences with you at all using skin bleaching products or buying into that like we kind of have at some point in our lives. Yeah, sadly, yes. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I use them because as, as you just said, you know, you kind of buy into that. Um, that's what the narrative is. That's what they're telling you. That's what, it's not just the cream telling you that, that's what society is telling you. So if you're getting bombarded from both angles and you're like, you've got these two walls kind of closing in on you, you feel such tremendous pressure to succumb that, you know, that's exactly what my book is about. I've written about my journey in terms of the first time I reached out and I, I reached for a cream rather and uh, when I was 11. And... Um, and after that, you know, my kind of relationship with the cream for, for decades, really, um, and what it did to me. Um, and one of the things I've mentioned in my book is that you kind of, you start using the cream and you think, okay, well, this is, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm doing what society is asking me to do. I'm doing what the cream is telling me to do. So, you know, this is it. Yay, I feel liberated. I'm going to be fair and beautiful now. But you're actually enslaved on the inside, right? You're liberated on the outside, but you're enslaved to the cream on the inside because you can't not use it. If you stop using it, you then turn, you know, to your kind of original color. You get get those taunts again. You get the aunties telling you on Skype calls after you return from a beach holiday, like the first mm-hmm. reaction instead of saying, hi, how are you, bitta, is, kitni kali ho gayi, bitta, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know, those comments, they... One of the things that really bugs me about colorism is the trivialization of it. And that's one of the things that I have written about in the book from a very raw and honest perspective that these comments, when they're said repeatedly to somebody, how they make you feel to the point that what leads them to then succumb to the cream and to succumb to that narrow definition of of beauty, because that's what they're telling you. Fair is beautiful. When the cream first came out, they actually explicitly had four woman like as in the same woman but four different faces yeah. of her on the cream right and you would see the the shade difference on the cream and so they're essentially telling you from one to four i call it the ferometer in my book <laughs> from one to four you want to strike harder on the ferometer and you want to achieve that number one rating you know and if you're at number four you're no good yeah. right you're 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 nothing you're not seen you're considered less the thing about colorism is that it, it really gets under your skin um, because it's not just your face. It's your entire body. It's the largest organ on your body. It's your identity, mm. right? So, yeah, I mean, I have a really big issue with this narrative and the, the industry itself in terms of how their multi-billion dollar industry is selling these products based on the insecurities of millions of women out there. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that it wasn't only the cream, but it's also society that's feeding you that narrative. Because now, you know, just just thinking about it, Fair and Lovely wouldn't exist if there wasn't demand for Fair and Lovely. The reason why it is a multi-billion dollar industry is because people have bought into it. People want that cream and want to be fairer and think that that's better for whatever reason. So, yeah, it's, it's really saddening to think about, you know, it, it is really society that's that's allowed this to continue for so long. 
Another interesting thing, I remember when we were in school, we watched this documentary about Ghana, I think, or, or a few countries in Africa where people really, really wanted to be fair. And we saw this horrible documentary about pregnant women in Ghana who were taking tablets with bleach, or I think also possibly another country um, where they were injecting themselves when they were pregnant to try and make their babies fairer. Obviously, this was super damaging, you know, to, to the babies and to the mothers as well. And I was like, we live in a society where it's sort of like you would take that risk to your own health and your baby's health just to change the color of their skin because you think being fair is better. Even back then it shocked me, but you know, the longer that it's gone on, I'm like, wow, this is, it's still happening. And it's so deeply like disturbing to think about. Yeah, I guess I was thinking about like also the kind of function of doing that because I, I can definitely hear it from the function of like, yeah, because they think fair is better, but I think it's also like they view societal perception and acceptance from others more important than their baby's health. So then yeah. that's risk pro analysis that they've done and they've been like you know what the risks are worth it because the pros associated with my kid being fairer and being more accepted and being able to potentially find a partner because also that's I think it comes out a lot also with like marital proposals and things like that it's like and like that's the kind of messaging that you see so I think parents they do it and maybe they view it in a warped way as like something that's good for them yeah it's quote-unquote out of love Um, yeah but yeah yeah So I have seen the documentary and I was literally in tears. I really felt sorry for those people who, you know, are in that kind of state of like despondency that they're willing to go that far, not not really considering the, you know, the health uh, repercussions as such that possibly could have an adverse effect on the baby, right? And themselves, as you said. And, you know, it's the injectables, which is also, by the way, becoming a, a thriving industry in India as well, because as I was just saying, Fair and lovely, you can apply as a tiny little tube, you can apply on your face, but the rest of your body is still the same color, right? Mm. Whereas these injectables work throughout your skin. And I don't think people understand they're not being educated or being informed, rather, about the detrimental health effects, right? So, for example, prolonged use of bleaching creams, which I didn't know and I used to do as well, is that you can have thinning of your skin. So you then burn easily when you're out in the sun. You can have all sorts of skin diseases and, and rashes develop. You can have kidney failure. You can have liver failure, skin cancer, other cancers. I mean, they're, they're pretty life-threatening diseases, right? Or illnesses that you can have from prolonged use of such chemicals, essentially, that you're injecting in your body, uh, whether it's bleaching or whether it's actual injectables. And I think, I mean, especially back then, right, for example, salons are relatively, you know, were relatively cheap and you would go to the salon for everything, right? You know, you go in there, you get your eyebrows done, you get your waxing done, you're like, oh yeah, you know, go on, put some bleach on. And of course they tell you, oh, well, you should be bleaching your face twice a week, twice a month. I did that. No. I was like, okay, yeah, they tell me to bleach twice a month, I'll bleach twice a month. I'll do anything it takes to become fairer. Mm. Um, just like, just like fair and lovely, they tell you apply this cream twice daily for six weeks and you'll become fairer. You do that, right? Back then, we didn't question the beauty industry. We didn't even bother looking at the back of the ingredients, right? At the back of the tube or the back of the bottle. Or Nobody ever cared about the ingredients. But that's the first thing I do now when I pick up any product. The first thing I do is I turn it around and I look at the ingredients. We need to be aware of what we're applying on our skin or injecting into our body. Look it up because otherwise you just don't know what you're what you're signing up for essentially in the name of beauty. Yeah, definitely. You were speaking a little bit about, I guess, in India and, and, and facing some of those pressures there. 
I'm wondering whether those pressures followed you as you moved to Japan and then also to the UK where you've noticed whether that expectation was upheld. 100%. Colorism, unfortunately, is one of those things that South Asians carry with them wherever they go, wherever they live. The obsession is unreal. So I would say the only difference is it's not as in your face as it is in India. Because in India, literally, you come to a crossroad, you see a massive billboard, fair and lovely. You know, you see Bollywood actors and actresses endorsing these products. And they're God in India. Like, we, we know they're God in India, right? They put up in such high regard, treated in such a way that whatever they say, their words are like as good as written in stone. You know, when you're getting married, don't go out in the sun for whatever a month and put this upton on and, you know, blah, blah, blah. The clothes you buy when you go to the shops. So they're not very tactful, the shopkeepers, quite a lot of them. And the, the men generally who are draping the sari around themselves and showing you what a sari will look like on you will tell you, oh, ye color achani lagega, you know, mm. it's that blatant. Exactly. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And your aunties are telling you this at the same time. And it's really in your face. In India, you can't escape it. You, you feel suffocated by it, right? Which is why I do understand the pressure that women over there feel. So that's one of the first things. And I'm kind of like, you know, um, uh, diverting a little bit but that's one of the first things I always tell people like don't give yourself a hard time if you've been through colorism if you've been using the cream I understand what it feels like but coming to the Japan and the UK it definitely was something that I felt but I guess not as severely or as in your face as in India but I did feel it because when you are here as I was saying you're still among the South Asian community right and it's ironic that the Western world ie in the UK you know the English would say oh my god look beautiful we love your color blah 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 because they like the tan the Japanese on the other hand never because they also believe fair is beautiful the skin whitening industry in Japan is massive mm. massive so growing up in Japan I did feel a lot of eyes on me because I was so different and the stairs were really indiscreet and you know back in the 1980s there were hardly any foreigners in Japan and especially because there were hardly any foreigners in Japan if you have my color and my hair you stick out like a sore thumb right mm -hmm. so yeah I mean I can't blame them for staring I guess maybe I would do the same if I saw somebody so different but there is a way isn't there and that's what we're learning now in that sense, society has, we're improving now such, with, with such conversations and we're becoming more mindful. But then I would carry this bleach cream with me. Um, what's the brand? Jolin. Mm. So I'd buy that cream and I'd take it with me everywhere. So I did my four years of my undergrad degree in India. And then I came back to Japan with tons of tons of this cream. And likewise, came to the UK and then realized, oh, yeah, I can buy this cream here in the UK. Brilliant. So you carry on because the minute you start to feel like you're not fair enough and you've tanned a little bit from, you know, you dare go on a beach holiday, you dare step out in the sun, you immediately get those comments. Huh? Mm. What happened to you? You turned Kali, right? And it's like such a dramatic way of saying it as well. Like you've committed a crime, you know? So, yeah, you, I think you do feel it everywhere, no matter where you live as a South Asian. Yeah, that's interesting that in the UK, when people look at you, they sort of say like, oh, I love your, your skin tone. I love that uh, color because I don't know how different the UK is from Australia. But here I feel like, well, actually, I think part of the reason why we don't think about colorism too much in my daily life here is because it's another underlying issue, which is racism, which is just like you've got like mm. white people and then we're all lumped together as brown, regardless of the shade of brown. We're all just we're all fighting this battle against racism. So therefore the colorism within that community is more nuanced and yeah I think it's easier to see when you're only amongst other South Asians because as you said they're quite explicit about it but in general society the colorism is not as in your face as the racism 
But anyway, it's interesting that you say the, the tan thing because um, we've noticed that a lot of Western or prominent figures in, in Western media um, have used tans to appear darker and more desirable. There's a whole thing about like black fishing and that sort of thing. So, you know, the Kardashians mm-hmm. and Ariana Grande, they're all very guilty of this. And that's in contrast to South Asian media who portray lighter skin tones as more attractive. How have you navigated these conflicting ideals between Western uh, standards of beauty and Indian or South Asian standards of beauty? I mean, literally just one word, one sentence, it's confusing as hell. (laughs) Yes. Right? Confusing as hell. Just imagine that, especially from a child's perspective, you're being told on one side, fair is beautiful. From the other side, tanned is beautiful. You don't know where to go, you know. But then having said that, one of the things, again, that I've touched upon in my book is that when you are so desperate to have that acceptance from your own community, it's only praise from your own community that matters. Mm. Because especially when you're living abroad and not in India, your community is everything, isn't it? Mm. So it's great when you hear whether they're kind of Australians or English people telling you, white white people essentially telling you, oh, your color is beautiful. makes you feel great. But when you hear from your aunties and your own community saying, oh, you're looking lovely, that is what you seek, right? Mm. Because that sort of acceptance, that approval, that belonging is why we do this, why we do what we do. We end up doing you know, succumbing to the cream because it's like you're not accepted if you're not fair enough. Yeah, it's like kind of like who's, what psychology would say, like who's in your in-group, like who are the people you identify the most with and and those Mm -hmm. opinions and values matter more. And I think also with that, it's like the consequence of not being fair in the South Asian community is worse than the consequence of not being tan enough in the Western community. So that kind of is like, it might be there's, you know, you're praised by either community for one thing, but the consequences of not doing what the South Asian community wants is so much harder. Do you think, you know, we spoke in the last episode about how South Asian communities tend to be more collectivists and white society is more individualistic. I'm just thinking out loud now, but it's like when people get tans here or do things here, it's like it's for themselves. Like, like I'm doing this for myself. I want to look pretty for myself. In quotation marks. Yeah, in quotation marks. Um, but in South Asian society, because there's this collectivist culture, it's like, no, like it's agreed upon. The standard is fair is lovely. And like, do you feel that? I don't know. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, yeah, that's the upheld norm and... And yeah, yeah, it's wanting to be accepted by the community. And that's such a bigger part of it, I think. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. It's kind of like you're penalized if you're not fair enough in the South Asian community. But it's not like you're penalized if you're not tanned enough in the white community. Mm. Yeah, I mean, though, coming to that, I think it's important, though, to acknowledge that there are differences in the experiences of, like Divya mentioned earlier, within the brown group, right? Like, we're not a homogenous group. We all have different skin shades and tones. So there's also a privilege that comes with being a lighter skinned brown person. And I guess I'm wondering what are those privileges that you feel that darker skinned brown people are segregated from compared to lighter skinned brown people? There's the problem with this whole fair is beautiful narrative and colorism within colorism is that it's actually widened a lot. There's not just that one narrative anymore. You're seen, you know, fair is beautiful. The, the perceptions of colorism basically are fair is beautiful, fair is successful, fair is probably better educated, fair is richer. <laughs> And fair is kind of what's accepted in the media world. So there are so many different perceptions now that basically, if you're not fair, you're nobody. That's how society sees you, right? Um, And I know this is a very drastic, dramatic description, but if you really break it down to that, it essentially comes down to that, isn't it? 
I think what sort of privileges that lighter skinned, fair skinned, and when I say that, it's all relative, right? I have people messaging me saying, what? I don't understand. Why are you writing a memoir? And how have you had such bad experiences of colors? You're not even that dark. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, in comparison to people who are much darker than me, to them, I am light skinned. So it's all relative. And the problem is there's like this threshold that we see, especially in Bollywood, for example. You don't see actresses, actors, plenty of them, but you don't see actresses below a certain color, quote mm, unquote. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking about this in my head as a ferrometer, which is a lie. I use the word below, but I don't mean to offend anybody by saying that. You only see actresses above, quote unquote, a certain color, right? There's only certain acceptance to how much melanin they're going to accept in your mm. appearance. Otherwise, you can't go into Bollywood. And that's one massive thing in the media industry. You don't see actresses that are darker skinned, right? You don't see client-facing receptionists, for example, at hotel desks or air hostesses. They're generally speaking, lighter skinned. It's funny, you know, even in the skin whitening products, right? The ads that you see, those actresses that you see are not very dark. Yeah. No. <laughs> They're actually, exactly. You know what they do? They, they take an actress who's already very light skinned They'll try these like <laughs> exactly right. They don't even there the authenticity is missing, right? Mm. So it's just um, it's laughable. Sorry, it's it's literally laughable, right? Mm. If you think about it, and and yet we are buying into this narrative. So yeah, the privileges are there, hundred percent are there. And sibling rivalry, for example, is one thing. Sometimes it's very kind of subconscious bias, but parents do this. I see parents favoring one child over the other because yeah, one child is fairer. There are so many facets to colorism that we need to unpack, that we can unpack, that I don't think people understand mm -hmm. how much it can affect one in their daily life and from how many angles it comes at them. Yeah, I was just thinking what you said about in Bollywood media. Oh my God, you know, in, in one of our previous episodes, we were speaking about some people who made us feel comfortable being brown in a Western society. At that time, I had said, Ashura Rai and mm. uh, Sushmita Sen were, you know, declared Miss World and Miss Universe. But then now that I think about it, they're both light skinned. They're both very, very fair. But then I think as I got older, my favorite actress was actually Konkona Sen Sharma. I think she doesn't actually make movies anymore, sadly. She was one of the darker skinned actresses and I loved her. She was a fabulous actress. And I think even off air, even like on her social media or like in interviews, she would even say like, I don't want to appear fairer. Why would I, you know, do that? Like I am me. And anyway, she's amazing. And recently I watched Made in Heaven, which is an Amazon show. Mm -hmm. And the character Tara Khanna, who's the main, well, actress, even she's like pretty, I mean, like you said, it's all relative, right? Like when I talk about Konkona Sen Sharma and the actress who played Stara, both of them compared to the norm in Bollywood they're both mm -hmm. dark-skinned but compared to South Asian community in general no they're both still on the lighter end of that mm -hmm. spectrum um, but it's interesting to see that sort of representation which I think is slowly hopefully I don't know maybe I'm just being like super hopeful but I really hope that it is seeping through slowly but another another media figure that made comments on color was uh, Sara Ali Khan. She had that interview where someone asked her, "Do you remember that interview? Have you seen it?" Yeah, I I revisited it recently to <laughs> to refresh my brain, which was more of kind of tormenting my brain. But yeah. yes, I saw that again about some of her kind of tone deaf points in response to a question asking about the challenges that um, darker skinned actresses face. So yeah, did you get? To see that video Shweta? I did and I was just dumbfounded yeah, <laughs> I yeah. literally had no words because what she was suggesting if you want to be fairer apply creams if you want to be darker you know apply bronzer <laughs> yeah exactly 
it's you know I get what she was trying to say you know do what you want to do don't feel the pressure from anybody you know we we all want to look beautiful in our own ways but I, I think she put her foot in her mouth by, by by touching upon this in such a way because it, it really angered me really mm. really angered me it's because of people saying such things such stupid things I'm sorry without you know without even thinking that that millions then get impacted and mm young impressionable minds who you know let's be very honest Farah Ali Khan of course is a you know great actress gorgeous beautiful talented but she's not somebody I follow mm. right I follow kind of like my generation actresses you know um Priyanka Chopra or you know Aishwarya Sushmita um you know colorism aside these are the actresses that I would kind of listen to quote unquote right or be interested in what they have to say whereas the generation now we've got Sara Ali Khan we've got Janvi Kapoor you know all these new actresses new fresh faces lovely gorgeous ladies very talented but they are actresses that young teenagers are following now if these are the kind of things that they are saying just imagine the impression that they are putting on these young impressionable teenagers i think they need to be very careful with what what they say now in 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 the media world because you know we live in the media world it's everywhere what you say is posted everywhere <laughs> So yeah, it was it was really quite sad to to hear what she said about yeah about skin tones and colors. I know, and I I guess I when I rewatched that video, like I tried, I watched beyond that dismissive statement of like just do what, you, just wear makeup and change your makeup to be whatever skin color you want. Beyond even that, she was I guess trying to make this point of like it is easier to change yourself before you can change the world. I disagree with that in some way because it's like who's to say that individual level change and collective change can't occur at the same time and. and also like it's that individual change only has to occur because of a result of these societal views like we aren't born with insecurity we're taught it so i guess when we're considering what to target it doesn't really make sense um that we have to tell the women who are darker skin tones to become more accepting of themselves because they're not the ones that are targeting prejudice towards others mm-hmm. yeah so i just feel like this idea of like oh just accept yourself accept your beauty and love yourself but it's kind of like you're dismissing the social environment and that it's impact because regardless of whether you're the most accepting person ever if you are bombarded with messages on a daily basis telling you to be different that what you are isn't beautiful like how do you like you have to be what hulk or something to not let that stuff impact you in any way like it's it's just we don't want to live in a world where those are the standards. And I think even you said about like you're bombarded by those messages, right? And therefore like of of course you're going to be affected by it. But more than that, I think she didn't even acknowledge that there are certain privileges and certain discrimination which darker skin people face compared to lighter skin people. For her, it was a makeup thing. It was like if I was like, "Oh, do you want cat eye or do you want like, I don't know, whatever another eyeliner thing is?" I feel like the comments she made was comparable to that. She didn't see it as like a skin color issue. And so therefore she didn't talk about like, you know, even if you are accepting of yourself and you feel like I really love, uh, you know, the shade of my skin. I love my skin tone. I think it's an undeniable fact that because everyone around you is whether it be subconscious or overt, they are prejudiced against certain skin tones and things like that. You will face discrimination in society and you can't like you, you know, you have to be able to navigate that and society definitely has to change and she was a sort of like, "Oh no, it doesn't matter about society. Just change yourself and you'll be fine." It's like that's not the point. The yeah. point is that yeah, exactly like you said Tanvi, the entire your entire environment is shaped in a certain way. 
So it's really hard for people to navigate through that. You know, I am, this is going to sound very provocative, but I'm going to say it anyway. I want to know if those are the words she would have said if she wasn't the color that she is. I agree. I thought that as well. (laughs) There's no way she would. She would, like, I just, She's talking from point of view of having fair skin privilege and having been born with a silver spoon in her mouth. So, you know, the two going together, you can't, you can't get away with such things. And I'm really, really glad that the interviewer immediately questioned what she said Mm -hmm. and interrogated her on it, you know. I'm really, really glad. Mm. Yeah, and I guess that that's the thing. Like, it takes a level of having to have gone through difficult journeys to be able to come to a point where you're able to, like, kind of critically analyze what she's saying. But, like, yeah, like you're saying, just so many impressionable viewers, it kind of gives you a reason also to just, like, dismiss the privilege you have. Because here's a celebrity very much just blatantly ignoring the fact that they have a certain level of privilege for being fair skinned. Mm. So it's kind of like the next time that someone calls me out on a comment that I make that's colorist. I can just be like, yeah, but like, um, you know, you can just put powder on if you if you're upset. Like, it it kind of perpetuates this cycle, and it's just sad. Yeah. Oh, totally. And it totally dismisses the impact that people have on their lives when it comes to colorism, right? And what you what you said, um, you know, really hit the nail on the head for me because I actually mentioned this in my book as well. As a teenager, this is the exact thought process that I went through, which is how can I possibly change the world? Mm. You know, everywhere I go, people question whether I belong to my parents because of my color. How can I possibly go around changing everybody? I'll just change myself. It's just easier. And that's what led me to buying these creams because it's like, nobody has to know. It's the one thing that I have to do. And I felt less. I started to feel inadequate. So I'll fix myself. I don't have to fix millions of others, right? Because you, because you can't. Like, it's such a daunting process, isn't it? Like, it's impossible impossible but practically as a teenager right so yeah I mean what she said so so casually yeah I'm, I'm just shocked but I guess yeah you were speaking a little bit about the idea of like having to change the world and that being such a like kind of weight to have to carry in and, and but then internalizing and being like okay it's just it's me that I have to change but probably now having gone through that journey you can probably see that like change needs to occur within our community so what does that change look like in your opinion? Like what changes do you hope or, or want to see? So I'm really, really glad that we are seeing changes in our community. We're seeing, I mean, I'll begin with myself. I'm 45. And when my daughter was born, because of everything that I've been through, one of the first things I went through my mind was, thank God she's fair. Because I didn't want her to go through what I had been through, you know? And it's heartbreaking to to even admit that I felt this way, but I did. And Then when I brought her home, I kind of made a promise to myself that I'll never, ever let colorism get anywhere near her. It never left me, but I didn't let it get anywhere near her. And I, you know, wanted her to enjoy life. So I think in that sense, I promised myself that one change and I stuck to it. I wish I had also changed at the same time. It was an opportunity for me to change myself too, but I didn't because you get so used to it. You get so used to the narrative. It's like an addiction. You know, you just can't give up the cream because the cream is telling you, you're not beautiful if you don't use me. <laughs> and I think the other thing that I found now is I get, this is what keeps me going, actually, to be honest, is when I get DMs saying, where have you been all my life? Like, you don't know what your page has done for me. Rather. Thank you for speaking up for all of us. And, you know, I just spoke to my parents for the first time about how I feel because of your page or you know, other anti-colorism activists um, out there as well. And I think that is what we need to keep doing. That will make a difference. But one of the things that I am so proud to share is this. 
two years ago when I started writing and I called my mom and I would, I would call her very frequently because I wanted to just verify information, right? Like there's something that's in my memory from when I was six years old. Did this actually happen or am I just kind of like making it up? Am I just like mixing up things? And she was quite shocked and she's like, how do you remember this? And, you know, I was like, well, I guess it's childhood trauma. Anyway, I was calling her very frequently. But when I told her I'm, you know, going to start writing about colorism, her first words to me were, as any South Asian mom, right, were, kya hoga? Koi farak nahi padega. Mm-hmm. Yeah? What, what do you, you know, aim to achieve? It's not going to make a difference. Yeah? Two years later, I was in Turkey in September. And uh, I just happened to call her from our beach holiday. And, you know, and I said, uh, I said, oh, hey, you know, how's it going? What are you doing? And she's like, oh, where are you? And I said, oh, we're in Turkey, you know, basking in the sun. And she said, the first thing she said, and the only thing she said was, enjoy. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. So that's growth on her end. If you can change a, a mother, an auntie, or a <laughs> grandmother, it's possible. Yeah. And this yeah. change also made oh. from that, I think, like to so many other people, because it's like as much as we want to think that our our or just my own beliefs, that doesn't affect other people. It does. So mm-hmm. if you're able to even change one person's perspective on it, you're changing their kind of network. Yeah. I also yeah. think it's so commendable because it's, this whole thing is like a cycle, right? Like you learn colorism, you feed into it, you do it yourself, then you affect the people around you because they see you applying fair and lovely. So they feel pressure to apply it. It's such a cycle. So I think it's really commendable that you stopped the cycle with you. You know, I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, you've stopped using those, those products yourself, but also the experience you went through with your daughter, that really shows like, you know, you it's a generational cycle, but you stopped it at this generation. You're like, no, that's, and I think that's, that's really, really commendable. Um, so massive props to you. But yeah, I also think that unlearning it. And I feel like we all need to be kind to ourselves. Like we are, um, I guess all of us, even people who, who continue to uphold that industry, that skin bleaching industry today, we're all victims of that industry and of this idea. So, um, I think we need to be kind to ourselves and not, you know, uh, yeah, basically hate on ourselves for, for thinking these things or, you know, having those thoughts. Unlearning all these ideals is very difficult. Um, but, you know, we are making progress like you've just shown and, and shared yourself. So, yeah, I definitely think we need to be kind to ourselves. And, and um, yeah, massive, massive props to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you've spoken a, about your own change and, and, and growth and, and the change that you've also seen within your family. Um, but I guess any tips that you have to offer for people who are currently facing I guess internal conflict regarding their appearance and and specifically skin color like how how do you navigate that yeah it's um you know one of the first things I say to them is you know which I've touched upon already is um don't give yourself a hard time it's gonna take time it's not something that you can eradicate overnight um eradicate from society eradicate from within ourselves it's something that is so deeply entrenched that the narrative is kind of repeatedly fed into us, right? From billboards to what you see in Bollywood to Bollywood songs. My God, don't get me started on those. Um, Just last night I had my Bollywood playlist on and, you know, so many songs have the word Gauri and Gauriya in it, which I didn't even realize up until two years ago. And I would be dancing to them and I'd be teaching dance to them. And for the first time, I'm like, what, what? Hang on a second. This song, like Kala Chashma, right? Kala Chashma, Jachta Hai, Gore Gore Mukhrepe. And there I was three years ago, four years ago when the song first came out. 
dancing away like the best song that Bollywood has ever produced. Love it. You know, can't get enough of it. And I just couldn't believe it when I heard it again. I said, I was like, <laughs> so these sort of things you get really, um, you start to pick up on when you, when you basically tell yourself, right, that's it. I've drawn the line here. I've had enough. I'm not going to succumb to colorism anymore. And then you start to kind of realize these things and, and you know, become sensitive to these things. So one of the first things that I started doing, writing, is extremely, extremely cathartic. So I would suggest to people who are going through um, any kind of self-esteem issues with regards to colorism is to start penning your thoughts. Because, you know, even scientifically, it's been proven journaling is something that is really cathartic, right? Secondly, my relationship with my mother has completely changed now after having spoken to her on numerous occasions about my experiences, because it was something that you don't speak to people about. And very often, colorism is something that a child first faces from their own family. It's the own family that tells you, oh, you're, you're the darker one, or, you know, when you're born, your color is being discussed, right, amongst the family. So it's something that hurts the most, because if it's your family telling you that you're dark or darker or not fair enough, just imagine, like, where do you go from there, right? Mm. So if you start speaking to your family about how it made you feel, eventually they will understand how much it's hurt you and how much it's been upsetting you. My mother, initially, she used to brush it off. Um, oh, classic Indian responses, right? What's the big deal? You know, everybody gets teased. Yeah. And again, she's of a certain generation, so she is who she is. But uh, two years later, she started to gradually realize how much it's impacted me, what it's done to me. And she started to empathize to the point where empathy then turned to supporting you. Mm-hmm. And she's now going to be flying from India for my book launch to be here with me. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> so I think there is definitely something to be said in, in talking, uh, whether it's your own mother, whether it's your own uh, friend, you know, friends that you can confide in. Talk to the person who's actually hurt you the most, in fact, who's, who's you know, said things to you. Because very often they're friends, they're family, but they say it like, it was a joke, mm. right? Quote, unquote. Um, there is a movie that actually um, beautifully encapsulates this emotion and this, in this one scene, this movie is called Bala. And it's actually about this Ayushman Karana. I love him as an actor. He, um, the movie is about him um, folding. So he's like losing his hair and, um, you know, obviously going through, you know, issues in terms of male insecurities and all that. His best friend, is Umi, um, fair actress, but she's spray tanned to look dark. Um, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> they couldn't audition for somebody who's actually authentically dark, but never mind. Um, she's a wonderful actress, and she played the role of this, you know, dark skinned girl. They're like best friends, right? Um, and she basically had a go at him at one point because he was going on and on and on about his insecurities to do with his hair. And she said, well, have you ever stopped to think what you said to me in our childhood, you know, years and days, calling me Kali and Kallo and all of this and what that has done to me? And they are like, as I said, best friends, but they don't even think. Somehow, when it comes to skin color, it's just not even a thing. Do you know what I mean? You You can tell other people about their body, you know, if you say something to somebody about their body size, you'll be like rebuked, right? 
If you say something to somebody about their losing their hair, you'll be rebuked. Um, or somebody will correct you and say, well, that wasn't very nice, or blah, 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 you know. But you say something to somebody about their color, and it's just whoosh. Nobody mm. cares. Mm. Nobody even acknowledges around you that somebody who's just said something about somebody's skin tone and what it's done to them. So I think such conversations need to take place. Face your demons within yourself. Face your bullies as such and tell them, you know, stand up for yourself and tell them how you've been feeling. Um, and that, I think, is something that I can't stress enough on because I think only by having these conversations, like even these podcasts that we're tuning into, that we're recording, tune into them, speak to other anti-colorism activists, follow other anti-colorism activists, you know, all of these things, they start to empower you. And mm -hmm. that's what exactly I did when I first started writing. I started looking on social media for other anti-colorism activists that I can follow that can then empower me to continue writing and for me to not kind of give up. Um, and I think that's, that makes a world of a difference. That's amazing. I feel like those are also just like kind of advice or tips that people can begin with. And, and it isn't like, I don't know, it just shows it's also a gradual journey. And I think starting even just to begin to be more introspective about how you view your own skin color and be that through journaling and then eventually kind of confronting the people that have hurt you and, and also getting empowered through that process by um, communicating with other people who, who've also faced similar experiences. is I think that's great advice. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I think that is a good place to wrap up today's episode. Um, Shweta, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It was so refreshing to chat to you about these issues. Really, really like it feels good to talk to someone who, who is very knowledgeable in the, in the field and has a lot of experience to share. So thank you. No, thank you very much. I'm, I'm really honored that you considered me for this podcast and Thank you for sharing your experiences. It's really um, quite ironic that living in the UK for 22 years, I actually haven't faced racism. I faced more colorism than racism. Mm. So, yeah, it's um, it's something that's like a daily journey and daily fight for us, isn't it, um, on various different levels. But thank you so much again. Um, and please do reach out anytime you want to talk about colorism any further or, you know, any experiences that any of your listeners have had and they want to share in confidence. I'm always on DM chatting with people and it really, I want to make a difference. And that's all I really care about. If that means somebody messages me in the middle of the night and wants to have a chat about something, I don't mind. <laughs> so I just really want to make a difference. So yeah, thank you. You definitely are. And we actually really can't wait for your book release. Um, so we wish you all the best for that. And you mentioned, I guess, Instagram and reaching out via there. So we'll just do a little shout out. Um, your Instagram handle is at the Black Rose Way. Yeah. And for our listeners, please do let us know your thoughts and experiences about colorism within the South Asian community or, I mean, broader. You can always reach out to us as well via our Instagram at twobrowngirlsau to let us know what you thought. And we are headed towards the tail end of this season with our fifth episode releasing next week, all about love and family. That'll release same time next week. See you then.